Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Joe Donoghue, your host. And of course, at present, it is the January transfer window. Uh, we're keeping an eye on all the moves taking place across the world of under-23 football. And we will have an episode in early February for you, rounding up some of the bigger moves this month and what we think of them. But for the time being, we have another excellent guest I'd like to introduce. Uh, today's pod, as per usual, has a particular theme. And given that many of our previous episodes have featured guests, experts, topics, you know, detailing all the things English football, it only seemed fair that we dedicate an episode to the goings-on north of the border. Uh, so today's episode is a Scottish special uh, with Scottish football analyst and podcaster Owen James Brown. Uh, Owen has written for Statsbomb among a whole host of other reputable outlets, but his expertise lies in Scottish football from Scots Premiership, Scottish Championship, the national team and the youth international sides. Uh, Owen, welcome to the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Um, it's my pleasure to be on the show. I'm a real fan of the the kind of beautiful handbooks you guys put together and the really interesting podcasts you have. And I, I just, like yourself, I guess, love a young, talented footballer. So very excited to be on the show and, and talk to you about that. Well, thanks very much for, for the kind words. Um, I, I briefly mentioned your work for Statsbomb and, and you were an avid podcaster as well, of which we're, we're big fans uh, at Scouted as well. I mean, would you like to just tell us a little bit more about, about your written work and also the, the pod that you currently co-host? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been lucky enough to do a bit of uh, written work for Statsbomb, uh, kind of data analytics um, side of things in football. I've written season previews for them um, about a couple of different clubs in English Premier League. Uh, also do the kind of occasional article about um, Scottish football um, focused on Scottish Premiership and also some articles looking at Scottish players. And that's really exciting beyond um, just being able to write for them and, and you know have the kind of pleasure other people read my work and stuff. It gives me access to their um, kind of software suite of um, data analytics and I, I just kind of love playing about with that and being able to look at the various stats for various footballers and, and kind of compare and contrast things so that, that's great fun for me I really like that um, in terms of the pure football um, podcast uh, well thanks for your kind of kind words about that I, I co-host that um, along with Gavin Miller who's kind of the founder of the pure football website um we have a, a focus on scottish football um i think we kind of try and do um on our weekly kind of flagship show a, a kind of mix of match analysis and stats and opinions and um, maybe uh, as a little bit of an antidote to some of the kind of um mainstream coverage in scotland which can maybe be a little bit um super focused on the old firm maybe obs obsessing over refereeing decisions and things like that whereas I, th I think maybe we um kind of dig a little bit deeper into you know stats and performances and tactics and stuff as well as occasionally having a look at things out with scotland you know we like a, a look at a kind of key european match or um you know a, a kind of um a wonder kid footballer like yourselves if anyone has sampled any of Owen's work, you'll know first of all that it's 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 great. I mean, the 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 West Ham United uh, season preview piece for Statsbomb that was that was something that I really enjoyed reading, um, and that was really insightful. Um, but th there's also a strong undercurrent of of tactical analysis to the way that you look at at individual sides and players. Um, I mean, what was it that first really got you interested in sort of the tactical side of things? Because given that Scotland and, and the Scottish Premiership hasn't exactly been at the forefront of the analytical revolution uh, over the past decade or so, is that somewhere where you perhaps spotted a, a gap in the market? 
Um, I, I think that's an interesting question. I think it's fair to say that Scotland, um, on the club side and the national team, hasn't really been um, you know somewhere that people would think of as the home of. Uh, interest in new tactics or analytics or, or even having you know uh, good scouting departments. Um, for me, um, I, I don't know if I particularly spotted a gap in the market. Maybe it wasn't as kind of um, as uh, I don't know a kind of decisive and, and well thought out thing as that. It's just the stuff I'm interested in. So I've always kind of been interested in the kind of tactical side of football, just from watching it. Um, the statistical side, just you know, kind of thinking about you know what does each position really bring to the game you know are the people that score the goals maybe a little bit overrated and and um is there more to think about beyond that and and i guess then kind of developed that a little bit through games like football manager stuff like that you know where you're scouting for players and you're maybe you know typing in a filter for key passes rather than just looking at who sets up the assists and and then um i had a job um uh particular job that was a, a very kind of analytical um job which helped me learn how to use um, you know, Excel and, and kind of basic kind of um, spreadsheet analytics things quite well. And then um, I was just getting more and more interested in what some you know advanced stats heads in football were kind of saying, looking at things that Stats Bomb were putting out. And it just so happened that one Christmas, I guess two years ago, um, I couldn't, uh, my wife's Irish and, and she'd gone over to Ireland for the Christmas period to see her parents but because of my work I couldn't go for that length of period so I had quite a lot of time in my hands um, started making kind of these you know statistical radars and, and stuff and from there I just kind of got really into it and um, you know um, that, that was kind of enjoyed it really rather than just thinking there was a gap in the market um, yeah. I suppose it is kind of that look behind the curtain really of, of football exactly. because it's it's such a I mean it's a game which is filmed with nuance but I mean if you if you strip it back and you know you look at the data and you understand the and the analysis behind it it, it does become another entity in and of itself um, and obviously you've got that access to you know the stats bomb data and stuff and and I, I can imagine you know you'd find yourself down plenty of rabbit holes there on on a on a Friday night like uh, like this but yeah um the t- today's podcast of course is the you know the scouted football podcast and it is it is a focus on on players aged 23 and under and i think as you mentioned before with with how scottish football is covered domestically uh, it would be very easy to discuss the green and white and blue and white elephants in the room for an hour and you know bore everybody to tears but that's not that's not what we're about and you know not what pure football is about either however it probably would be a good start a good starting point uh, to begin with the Colombian Buffalo in the room, <laughs> which is, of course, Alfredo Morelos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, fa- it's fair to say that he's had a fairly huge impact on Scottish football over the past two, two, two and a half, three years, hasn't he? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And um, yeah, it, it, to kind of echo what you, you said there, um, as much as we maybe wouldn't want to spend um, all our time at Pure Football or even on this show talking about just Celtic Rangers, Morelos has had an incredible impact and it's only right that we um, definitely focus a due amount of time on him. Look, 76 goals in 126 games, I think it is for Rangers so far. Um, and not only that, I think that he's given them a real kind of genuine star for the first time in a while, you know, with the, the kind of troubles that Rangers we're going through and, and being through the lower leagues for a little bit of time, they've not really had um, a young uh, player um, who's both you know performed for them, but also has um, the potential to go beyond uh, that for quite some time. So yeah, an, an incredible impact for him. I think this season in particular, um, as much as you know, prior to this season he'd been contributing goals for Rangers. I think this season um, we've really seen, in my view, um, him start to show 
more and more of the kind of attributes he has as a player. I think he's developed um, his link-up play um, more. Um, so he's still putting up an incredible amount of shots. I mean, he almost takes about six shots um, per every 90 minutes for Rangers, which is, you know, a, a huge amount. But now, you know, he's dropping deep. He's linking up with, um, you know, the midfield. Um, he's causing defence. He's a huge problem by doing that. But he can also still bully defend- defenders. He, he loves to kind of pin a centre-back and then roll them. Um, he's also, you know, as your listeners will be aware, has got vital clinical goals in Europe for um, Rangers this season, which has been um, really, really important to them. Um, so, yeah, he's had a, a huge, huge impact for the club and in Scottish football generally. His impact hasn't really been just on the pitch either. It more or less has been, you know, in, in terms of his personality as well. I mean, there was a, mm. I think it was that Glasgow Live article today where, uh, sorry, not today, th- this week where it described him as a waster. And I, it, it rightfully so got a bit of a bit of disdain towards it. And it, I think a lot of people rejected that notion because he, he is a bit of a maverick. And I think that that can be misconstrued sometimes. He's got, was it last season where he had three red cards in four games against Aberdeen? And, and mm. I mean, just a distinctive disdain for the rules in, in general, really. I think that kind of ties in with, with what you were saying, that the Rangers, you know, given the troubles that they've had, they haven't really had a star to get behind. And, of course, they they, they have one now in, in the form of 23-year-old Alfredo Morelos. Well, I mean, for me, in terms of the kind of, um, you know, the, those kind of criticisms that have happened of him, I, I think there's a couple of things to think about. F- firstly, for me, I think for any young player, um, you need to give them a bit of a break, um, particularly for somebody like Morelos, who is so, so far away from home um, and, you know, has been away from home uh, in Colombia for a long time. So, you know, he played for Finland and, and not only did he play in Finland and then come to Rangers, you have to keep in mind um, the season start and end times. So he played football continuously because of when the season runs to and from in Finland and then because of when the season starts to and from in Scotland. He, he played an incredible amount of continuous minutes um, at a very young age, which, you know, is fatiguing for any player and I think merits for respect there was even a point um last january when he was rumored heavily to be um potentially bought by a chinese club and because when the chinese because of when the chinese um clubs start their season that that would have meant that he would have had no break at all um for for such a long time so so that's a kind of key thing for me just to show a bit of understanding to, to young players and um, also i think that um regrettably for him some of the sending offs have come on occasions when you know they might mean that the microscope is on you a little bit more. You mentioned that a couple of them have been you know against the same team against Aberdeen, so that kind of increases the talking about that. Also, one of those was in the very first game of the season, which then means people are going to remark on it a wee bit more. And then you know there's also been um, issues against Celtic Forum, which obviously um, you know people come to hear about. So there have been seven sending offs in total um, in his Rangers career so far, which is a lot. I personally think that this season um, things have improved for him. Um, so this season, his two sending offs have been as a result of second yellow cards, um, one of which was for celebrating a goal um, against Motherwell, or at least some kind of interaction with the crowd against Motherwell. Uh, um, to be fair to the referee, you know, it wasn't just pulling his top off, it was gesticulating against the opposition fans. And then the other was a, a second yellow card for diving against Celtic. And, and I guess... You know, those things can potentially happen. You know, they're not necessarily the same as a violent foul, in my view. Um, and I think it did seem to me that, you know, he's maturing, um, that, you know, Gerard and, and his coaching staff seem to have um, 
improve things in that regard, that he's maybe not lashing out quite as much, not not as many kind of petulant fouls. Um, I, I think it might be quite frustrating to coach him, um, particularly when these things are arising, particularly for Rangers when the limitations for Rangers when Morelos is sent off and suspended are, in my view, quite significant because the replacement forward, Jermaine Defoe, who's obviously at the other end of the age spectrum that scouted football would focus on, he doesn't offer the same sort of movement that Morelos would. He's very much a penalty box poacher. So when Rangers are facing a team, which most teams in the league against them will play as a very low block, it really limits them. It's a real difference. So it must be very frustrating for for Gerrard um, when Morelos isn't available. But I guess the thing I would say about that as to whether you know Gerrard um, might be frustrated and be thinking whether he'd persevere with it is probably in, in a position for Rangers and indeed Celtic, you probably just need to accept that there might be some flaws that come with your, your kind of star centre forward, given you know the, the the club and the nature of the league and stuff, and that it's not a top level league. So you probably you know can you get somebody who's fairly cheap? Well, yeah, Morelos was fairly cheap, just a million pounds. Can you get somebody that gives you immediate results? Well, yes, Morelos immediately delivered in terms of goals. Can you get somebody that gives you resale value? Well, yeah, Morelos is likely going to deliver that, but you probably have to accept then that beyond those things. It's not going to be ideal, so you probably just have to to try and work to try and improve, which I think he is doing. I think they are improving in that area, but also maybe accept that there will be some some limitations, both both with somebody like Morelos, you know, fiery character, and and you probably lose a bit of the edge as a player, but just in general for for you know a club like Rangers that you know um, you maybe can't get perfection. Well, I suppose just going back to your point there about a player that Rangers sign is is going to have flaws, and yes, a lot of the players they sign, a lot of the, the players that Scottish Premiership clubs will sign will have flaws in terms of what goes on on the pitch. But I mean, if he was a world beater, then there's the likelihood that you know, without any flaws, sorry, then the likelihood is that he wouldn't have signed for Rangers in the exactly. first place. Yeah. I guess that's the the way to look at it, in my view, absolutely. Um, and I think they've done well to you know get get what they have out of him. And I, I think he, he's improving and he's delivering incredibly well this season. The amount of goals, for instance, that he scored in Europe just shows that you know the development's there. And, and I think beyond that, if you watch him, the all round play is is really really good at the moment. Um, he's doing very well. Just going back to your point where you said you know he's probably quite a frustrating player to manage, and that comes with the territory of having the maverick striker. Yeah, he has been probably a perpetual frustration for for Gerard in behind closed doors. But given the precocious talent that he has, do, do you think that Gerard deserves a bit of commendation for you know sticking by him, really putting his arm around his shoulder, and really trying to work with him to mature him to to the level that you say that that he's at now? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that maybe I was looking to see if Gerard would be able to do um, when he was appointed as manager of Rangers, not not just with Morelos, but with any young players to see how he, you know, developed them. Obviously, Gerard has a background for Liverpool, brief though it was, at, you know, their their youth level. So that that would be interesting. And yeah, I definitely think it looks as though, um, you know, Morelos. It's not his first language. We we don't know how you know well the interactions are, how how good the communication is with him and the rest of the team. But it certainly looks like between him and Gerard, there's there's an understanding, there's mutual respect, and I, I think Gerard's. Um, working hard uh, to develop him and deserves credit for persevering with him. Like I said, though, I mean, I, I, you know, is there any other option than to persevere with him? Uh, you then have to find another, um, you know, kind of rough diamond like Morelos, and, and that's a difficult task. So it, it might be partly yes, Gerard deserves credit. Partly just you know he he has to. You know, there's no other option but to persevere. 
Gerard had that experience of working with Liverpool's under-18s and obviously he'd gone straight from, you know, being a, a Liverpool legend and kind of seeing through those young Liverpool players in that team while he was still on the pitch and then working with the younger groups and, and then coming into a Rangers side, which of course it still does now, but also at the time had a lot of, of young young players there. And I think Gerard does deserve a lot of a lot of credit for, for the way that he's... It's always a dangerous term when you come to you know descri- describing Scottish football, but you know he's kind of bridged the gap to to a certain extent, at least from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. um, yeah. compared to how it was a few years ago. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that Gerard um, and and his team, he's got a good coaching staff. There's a guy called Michael Beale there, who's a very well respected um, kind of coach, um, and I, I think they've done very good things. I think Rangers the season, the thing that you would say about them is that. They've learned from their errors. I think you can see tactically as Rangers go on, um, if they identify something that's maybe not working, you can see them put in a fix. Um, and you know that, that that's that's impressive. So I think Gerard is doing a, a a very commendable job. Going back to Morelos, it's always fun to play the hypothetical game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's twenty three years old now, and yeah. obviously a lot of the discussion around him as he becomes as he gets ever so closer to Ali McCoist's European goals record, hmm. you know, as he continues to post extremely good go- uh, expected goals numbers and obviously the, the the binary reductive measure of just playing old goals and assists, the discourse surrounding him is going to forever lead towards, but when is he going to come to a top league? Mm-hmm. If, if we were going to play the hypothetical game, I mean, where where could you see a player of Morales's um, style moving on to. I mean, is there a particular manager with a style you think would suit him, or, or a particular destination, a particular country? I, I think it's a very fair question to ask, and I, I think it will happen this summer. Um, I think Rangers are probably right now looking at who the next um, Morelos is. Um, in terms of destination, um, yeah, I, I think he's good enough to play in a top five league. Um, he's definitely, you know, got an all round game. Um, it's not just the goals, although the goals are the headline number. Um, he can link up. He is pretty smart. Um, he's developing his his close control and his um, and his passing. But and 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 he scores all different types of goals. We've seen that in Europe with you know his pretty remarkable headers against Feyenoord, but also kind of clinical finish against Porto. In terms of destination, I would probably say maybe Spain, um, mainly because of the language. Um, I think he's you know served a, a fairly hard apprenticeship, being you know so far away from home and having, as I said. Um, that kind of run of the season in Finland and then kind of immediately into football in Scotland and keeping in mind that playing for Rangers in Scotland, the season's very long, you know, with these European games. The reason why he's got, well, partly the reason why he's got a tally of so many European goals this season is because Rangers play so many preliminary qualifying fixtures in the Europa League. So he's had such a volume of minutes um, that I think it would be nice maybe to, to go to somewhere like Spain, where, where there'll be less of a you know language issue, um, where he maybe will feel um, quite at home. Um, I think in terms of a, a team, um, I, I think so, somewhere in La Liga, kind of mid table. I, I don't think that he's you know ready or, or likely to ever be um, maybe a, a starter for kind of Champions League table uh, team, but um, certainly a, a Europa League uh, kind of you know um, contender. Um, somebody that plays with a bit of the ball um, because he can drop deep and kind of you know contribute to that, but also a team that's adept at playing the counter attack because you know he's he's clinical on the counter attack. He can you know 
link up with uh, supporting runners, and and he will he will generate shots on his own as well for teams. Um, so yeah, somewhere in Spain, mid table Europa League contenders. That would be my ideal for Morelos. I suppose one of the things that that people don't discuss enough is what you've just said there that he's had quite a quite a difficult apprenticeship. You know, it, the the route to a top five league if he does move on in the summer, mm-hmm. which as you say is, is he's expected to do so with Rangers. You know, cashing in at the at the peak of the price tag that they'll get for him, going from you know Colombia to Finland to Scotland, but not only just to Scotland. You know, to the tinderbox that is you know Glasgow Rangers at times. <laughs> it's. For for a player who's still only twenty three years old, he's still a very young man. He's he's been through a lot in such a short space of time, which I think would you'd hope at least would give him a, a bit more of a rounded perspective if he did move on to somewhere like a Europa League club in Spain or something like that. I think I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I, absolutely, yeah. He's he's putting a lot of time, but I don't think it's time that necessarily means that he will think that he's entitled to now jump to a certain level. I think he's probably realistic uh, about his career, and he's probably developed a fair amount of resilience, uh, and he knows that you know you kind of have to work your way up gradually and prove yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, there, Joe. That that's probably given him a bit of insight into his career. His, his next choice needs to be a good one, um, but I think he's you know he probably knows what he's doing. He's developed a good amount of resilience, and he, he he's you know already started his way. He's putting a lot of hours into the kind of start of his career, and and you know hopefully the next move if there is one is a good one for him. For sure, we can't discuss one without the other, of course. And if if we're going to reduce football players to their positions on the field, then Morelos's opposite number would, of course, be Odson Edward, um, who has been fantastic for Celtic and and is rightfully adored, pun intended, um, by the by the Paradise faithful. Uh, but just why why is that from from the inside from from the microcosm of of, of Scottish football? Why is it why has Edward been such a success there? Uh, that's a good question too. Um, well, I think in terms of his attributes, he he's a fantastic footballer. I really love watching Edward. Um, I think the kind of key things that stand out for me um, are probably his his control. Uh, he's got phenomenal close control, um, a real kind of magic touch. Um, the ball kind of sticking to his feet. Um, so I mean, you know, obviously, as I'm, I'm sure your your listeners are aware, he's got quite a pedigree of playing for you know France at the under um, age level. Uh, for the under 21, six games, 11 goals. He's an under 17 European uh, Championship winner and top scorer, golden player. But um, he was actually born in South America in, in French Guiana, um, moved to France at quite a young age. Um, he turned 22 um, today, in fact. But I, I kind of wonder whether the, the South American roots for him have some sort of um, play into the, the way that he, he plays. So he's not a kind of flair player, but, but certainly his his close control is phenomenal the, the ball just kind of sticks to his feet and I think that really helps him um, so he's, he's always available for the ball he loves to drop into a kind of pocket of space maybe in the kind of left channel um, or maybe find space in the box um, and, and he's really really adept at linking up with other players exchanging quick passes with wingers and also dribbling at people so when, when he dribbles it's not kind of showy there's not stepovers things like that necessarily 
But he just, as I say, it just feels as though the ball's glued to his feet and he can just glide past people at time. And and the other kind of thing that sticks out for me is just his calmness. So he's faced some criticism, um, particularly from Chris Sutton, I think it was, maybe Charlie Nichols, some some former Celtic players, for the lack of, um, I guess, exuberant celebrations when he scores for Celtic. Um, but I think he's just quite a calm and composed guy these days. Um, so that really strikes me, not, not necessarily just in terms of the celebrations, but in terms of on the pitch during play, that he he always seems as though he's maybe a not necessarily just a step, but a moment of thought ahead of most of the other players that he's playing against, or even on the same side as um, sometimes you know just in, in terms of his appreciation of space and knowing where to be and just the the calm, cool, and kind of assured finishes that he can place into the corner. So I I think he's fan, fantastic and, and look you know twelve goals and eight assists in about thirteen hundred minutes for Celtic this season is kind of testament to the the overall output, but it's more than that. It's the link-up play, it's the space-finding, all these things. Excellent player. I mean, just going back to what you said there about, you know, the, the various Scottish pundits, the mainstream Scottish pundits uh, who cover Scottish football, I mean, we could talk all day about uh, whether they are perhaps in the best position to to, to criticise the likes of Odson Edouard, but, um, and, and whether celebrations are the be all and end all really. <laughs> um, I know, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I know they're important, but at the same time, I'd, uh, I'd much prefer if he was shooting from good locations, put it that yeah. way. Um, you, you, you referenced his, uh, his goals and assists tally there and correct me if I'm wrong, but has he been involved in 18 goals in, in the Scottish Premiership this season at the halfway stage or roughly the halfway stage? I think, I think it's 20. I think there's 12 goals and eight assists, but either All way, right. yes. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, yeah. Yep, incredible goal. I mean, it's it's the highest in the league. And for someone of his style, as you say, who, you know, you probably pride him more on his his link-up ability, it's pretty impressive because he's not that, you know, that typical out-and-out striker that, you know, you might be, you might get Chris Sutton saying, you know, he's not a number nine or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And yes, even though he is playing in one of the better sides, it's still quite commendable because as, you you know, proponent of, of data analysis yourself, the numbers back it up. Um, you know, 1.23 non-penalty goals and assists per 90. That's that's fantastic. To be anywhere near one, but to be the right side of one is is brilliant. He's, he's a multi-dimensional player. Yep. But going back to the point that you made about his, his excellence with, with France under-21s, do, do, do you think that the Scottish Premiership is a good barometer or a good yardstick for determining whether a player can make it in the, in the senior France squad? Well, that, that's a good question. Uh, and I guess um, the issue here is lack of sample size. Um, so we can kind of point to players that have come out of Scotland and, and done good things, you know, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson, whoever. But, you know, we, we, you know they, they might potentially have done great wherever they were and, and so on. Um, I guess the kind of one that's most relevant for this is Moussa Dembele, who, who of course was at Celtic and did very well at Celtic and has gone on to Lyon and, and had you know a good um, first season. Things have been a, a little bit more mixed this season for him, but he's uh, you know somebody that's potentially also might be of the opinion that he should be a starter for France in the future. Um, I think that Edouard has got a really good pedigree. It can only be helping him in the eyes of the French national team, the fact that he's been... Uh, delivering in terms of goals and play for the under uh, 21 level and below that. Um, I would hope that playing in Scotland doesn't hold them back from making a debut in the France national team, but you know what? Um, it, it, it certainly isn't um, as good um, in terms of how people would um, 
view it, um, you know, and and what he's been asked to do and and what his output is in comparison to if he was playing in, in for instance, the English Premier League. So that's got to be something he's got to think about, particularly given the, the, the competition that you face to be in the France squad. I mean, they have so many options up front. So even if he was delivering the very best that he could do in Scotland or, or elsewhere, where it's, it's still going to be tough. Um, so, yeah, um, difficult, I think. D- difficult for NMD to get into the, the France uh, team, let alone of where you, you play, what league you're in, but certainly yeah, it's going to be difficult for somebody in the Scottish League to do that, I think. Domestically, uh, who would you say that he sort of links up best with in, in that in that Celtic team? Well, um, Callum McGregor tends to play the kind of left-sided central midfield role for, for Celtic in a, in a kind of double pivot uh, with Scott Brown. But uh, McGregor tends to drop into the kind of left-back space um, to allow ball and goalie at left-back to kind of bomb on. So he's maybe the guy that can uh, feed Edward from that space when Edward drops into the, the left um, kind of half space. But the route I really like Celtic um, to take, what I love to see is when Christopher Iyer, also another young talent, just 21 years old, already has kind of 14 caps for um, Norway. He's a centre-back who likes to have a, a, a go at breaking the lines with a dribble. Um, he plays at left-sided centre-back for Celtic, so he, he will dribble through against you know a relatively deep block, um, inviting some pressure from midfield, ideally you know beating one of those people or drawing people out of position. And then, as we spoke about earlier, Edward is really good at dropping into pockets of space. So, so that's that's the kind of ideal link up because that can cause havoc in an opposition defence just through creating a space. Um, beyond that, yeah, it generally it tends to be people on the left side. So maybe Bolongoli at full back or um, Mohamed El Yunusi was a, a, a kind of good link up for Edward earlier in the season until he got like until he got injured. And I think he and Mikey Johnston, another young talent at Celtic, could, um, once Johnston develops a, a little bit more um, uh, in, in terms of his own link-up play, that, that could be quite a profitable kind of combination for Celtic. You mentioned Bolingoli there uh, at left-back, but I'm just, I wanted to focus on the other side um, at right-back, um, a player who, who's come through this season um, you know, on loan from Manchester City, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's Jeremy Frimpong, um, who a lot of people who don't you know, engage with Scottish football a lot, they might remember him or might have first come across him f- for his interview after the, uh, the Scottish League Cup final, mm-hmm. uh, which, was, which was very good and very refreshing to see. Um, mm-hmm. That was a game in which he was sent off. Uh, but I thought the first half that he played in that in that fixture was was quite resolute for for the atmosphere and and for the occasion of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Frank Pom's a, a permanent signing for Celtic, um, not not alone from Manchester City, and I think he's been a very uh, refreshing presence, I guess, for the team and and for Celtic fans and for the league. Celtic have had a bit of an issue um, at right back for a while um, because they they had Michael Listig there who was aging out essentially, uh, and for a team that are as kind of dominant in possession as Celtic are. They didn't really have um, that kind of presence from right back because he wasn't getting forward the way you would maybe want your fullbacks to to do in that kind of system where you're you know trying to stretch the pitch and getting behind um, people. So Frimpong has kind of changed that for Celtic. Um, he's incredibly adventurous. Uh, he is a little bit similar to Kieran Tierney in, in the way that he attempts to beat players. So he's very much based on um, his 
turn of speeds, his acceleration, so he kind of likes to essentially knock it past people. Not not necessarily too much kind of uh, subtle trickery, but maybe just a, a kind of shimmy, a turn, or a move backwards, and then push the ball the other way and go on. Um, but yeah, he's exciting to watch. He's incredibly positive. Um, for a large percentage of the league games that Celtic play, he can play almost as a kind of auxiliary right winger. Um, so he's been able to kind of revel in um, the, the attacking side of the game. Um, I, I think he's he's a really good pick up for them. The, the type of player that they needed um, in terms of you know play on the field, um, and it, it's exciting to see a young player like that having so much fun in the league. And I think um, as long as you know he maybe. Um, such as you mentioned that he got sent off in the, the cup final game. Um, as long as he kind of learns from those things and develops the kind of defensive side of his game, um, he, he could have a, a really bright future. So an exciting young talent in Scotland, definitely one to watch out for. We see how important fullbacks are to the modern game, of course. You, you know, with, they're not one-dimensional anymore. They're not Gary Neville's anymore. They're, they're, they're so so important to build up play. They're so important to 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 the creation of, of good chances in terms of the positions that they take up in the opposition halves. Um, do you think that with with Bolingoli and with Frimpong, there's there's a bit more balance there than, than perhaps when, when Lustig was there? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. Um, that That's a, a bit of a game changer potentially for Celtic. Um, I think that um, you're, you're spot, in, spot on in the, in the modern game, particularly for kind of elite teams. And by elite, I just mean ones that have a bit of a differential between them and the rest of the ones they're playing. So for, for Celtic, um, they're dominating matches in terms of possession, but you know, in terms of getting behind teams, in terms of stretching the play, um, in terms of being able to spread things quickly from one side to the other and get overloads going and stuff, the fullback are, are incredibly key um, and I, I think yeah it, it's a bit of a game changer for Celtic to have Ball and Goalie and Frimpong um, they're, they're both very keen to get on the ball, very keen to get forward, um, can be um, as well as stretching the play wide, you know Ball and Goalie and Frimpong like to make some diagonal runs into the middle midfield so yeah de- definitely a game changer for Celtic to have them both we might get lost down a rabbit hole here of talking about them all night. So I think that's probably a good point to, to say that we're going to move on and we're actually going to deviate from the Scottish Premiership entirely and actually deviate from the scouted football policy of speaking exclusively about under-23s. Uh, but I suppose we can make the occasional exception. Um, Lawrence Shankland is the one we're making the exception for, uh, who is 24 years old uh, and has been scoring bagfuls of goals for, for Air United and, and for Dundee United over the past couple of years. Uh, and obviously, without question, it should be on the radar of, of plenty of clubs. Um, I saw I saw an exchange on Twitter the other day uh, about Shankland. Um, mm. It might have been with you and, and Football Stuart, um, who is another account that you should definitely check out if you're into your Scottish football, by the way. Mm. Uh, and and the, the conversation was around whether Shank, sorry, where Shankland will end up next, because Celtic or Rangers would be an easy destination to assume, but I'm led to believe that you know you'd think differently, Owen. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so the the conversation with Football Stewart was just generally around that. Football Stewart used to work um, at Dundee United, so he knows uh, Lauren Shanklin and has played pretty well. Um, for me, um, Shanklin's done incredibly well. So look, you know the the kind of top line figures are that he's got twenty two goals and just nineteen championship matches this season so far. And you know it's not just a, a one off. Last season, as you pointed to, he was delivering the same sort of uh, amount of goals per game for Air United. 
My concern is that, you know, for any player, um, especially young players, and I know he's not as young as the ones we would normally talk about for, for scouted, um, but you, you, you really have to make the correct career choice to ensure that you're getting minutes. Um, I think if he went to Celtic or Rangers, he'd quite possibly wind up being third choice for either of those. And that's, you know, not... not kind of my opinion of where he should be I think that you know he merits being a starter in the Scottish Premiership um, but just you know the, the, the pressure that Celtic and Rangers face the resources that they have they, they have other options um, and I think if you're stuck being a third choice for Celtic or Rangers on the bench in matches at best having to you know contribute in the limited minutes that you get and being judged on that there's a strong risk you probably get, you know, kind of dumped in, in 18 minutes, uh, 18 months rather. Um, and I, I think particularly for Shanklin, given the age he is, he's not necessarily young enough to allow that kind of stagnation to happen in his career. It needs to be a smart career choice. I think that in Scotland, um, particularly among Celtic and Rangers fans, there's already a little bit of um, tendency of people to look down on him a little bit because um, because he plays in the Scottish Championship, and and also because um, he's he's had some time in you know the Scottish Premiership already. Uh, back in 2014-15 season when he was at Aberdeen, um, he played in in 17 games for Aberdeen and he got no goals. Um, and I think because of that kind of headline number, um, the fans would be sceptical about him and perhaps wouldn't give him as much of a chance as they should. Now, in my view, he he was a teenager then, and those 17 games were, were actually comprised of just two starts a total of 250 minutes so I don't think it's fair to judge him off that time um, but I do think for him that it would be the wrong move I think he should go somewhere where he can be a certain starter um, and where you know he'll get the opportunity to show what he can do. With the amount of championship clubs that, that do drop into the Scottish market for players do you think that the championship could be a, a potential uh, destination for him? Um, yeah, um, I, I definitely think that's where you should be looking at. Um, my gains, kind of, to him would be to look at somewhere, you know, not 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 necessarily sure that a, a team right up at the top of the championship would want to gamble on him. Um, they, they probably have more money and and you know might go for more of a sure shot. But somewhere in the mid to to kind of low uh, English Championship where he would be assured of being a starter. Um, hopefully that that's the type of destination I would think of for him. Absolutely. Very interesting indeed. Just going back up to the Scottish Premiership. Um, I mean, in terms of the other players outside of the outside of the top two that you know taken our interest over the past few years, uh, David Turnbull was one uh, last year at Motherwell um, who, who definitely got our attention. Um, but then he got a then he got a serious injury. I, I mean, I'm led to believe he's alert, he's returning from from that injury uh, sooner rather than later. And I mean, what do you think that he could offer? Um, com- you know, coming back from from that that setback. Yeah, um, so Motherwell, who Turnbull played for, um, just earlier in this week, they had an Instagram story that showed uh, Turnbull doing some work um, back at training, individual training, just doing some kind of running cardio type stuff. But that's that's really, really encouraging. Um, I, I think that um, I feel, you know, it is a real, real shame for him that he had t- such a, a kind of stellar season, um, so many goals, and then the, the medical for his proposed move to Celtic highlighted a, a pretty serious um, problem. But it, it seems as though that's been fixed now, and he's kind of going to be ready to return to action by the end of the season. Um, Motherwell have got quite a settled um, kind of approach these days in terms of the way they play. Um, They've gone to kind of 4-3-3 and their midfield three all have really clearly defined roles. Um, And it worked really nicely uh, last season with Turnbull kind of acting at the uh, kind of tip of that midfield three. And, and, you know, he's, he's he's a... 
very athletic player, um, that likes to get forwards, contributes a lot in terms of goals. He's really aggressive um, in terms of, you know, kind of wanting to be on the ball and being proactive and wanting to make things happen. Um, I think that it will be a real bonus for Motherwell, who are currently sitting in third, which is a really good achievement for them, um, to hopefully have him back um, before the end of the season. And I think it would be really nice if he can remain there um, for next season and kind of rebuild what he had had happening because he, he's a he's a really encouraging talent, um, a, a good type of player, somebody that's exciting to watch and, and you feel that um, he kind of deserves good things because of the, the injury, but also because of his style of play. He, he doesn't shy away from being involved. He, he really wants to make things happen on the pitch. Another player that, that has sort of caught my eye a few times, or rather when I've seen it on sort of flash scores and stuff, is uh, Lyndon Dykes at uh, mm. Livingston. You know, he's popping up with the occasional goal here and there. And I believe he's 23 years old. Um, and, and he's also posting quite good numbers in, in terms of uh, non-penalty goals and assists per 90 as well. Um, just when I was looking up uh, those Edwards t- statistics, I mean, what is what is Dykes like as a player? Uh, well, he's another interesting player. Funnily enough, um, Gavin and I, Gavin, that uh, do the Pure Football podcast with, um, we went along to see Partick Thistle versus Queen of the South. Um, must have been about you know a year and a half, two years ago. Partick Thistle played you know a five minute walk away from my home, um, and Lyndon Dykes was playing for uh, Queen of the South at that point, and we hadn't heard of him at, at that stage, um, and he really stuck out to us. Um, I guess the the player that at that time Gavin compared them to. Stephen Naismith, um, who plays for Hearts, and in that he's a kind of a second striker, a physical presence, um, kind of buzzes all over the pitch, really kind of keen to be the the target for balls up the pitch, but also you know not not just for winning those in the in the air, um, he can lay things off his chest. He's good at linking up with people, um, so he's a good outlet for a team like Livingston that play. Um, a, a fairly kind of direct style of football and don't necessarily carve out too many kind of open play chances. He's a way of them getting the ball up the pitch, the pitch, and then you know moving the rest of the players up. Um, in terms of his goal scoring, he, he's not he's not lightning quick, but he's got a pretty reasonable kind of top speed once he gets going. So he can get in behind defenses and latch onto balls. Um, and and once he's in the penalty box, he he can score. You know headed goals, shot goals, um, all, all kind of different types of, of goal. But I would say his main attribute is kind of being a, a kind of sort of, you know, mobile target man, really. That, that's how I view Lyndon Dykes. Good player, I think. Just moving on to the Scottish national team, someone who you could say is quite mobile for being quite a tall player is uh, is Ollie McBurney. And I know that he divides opinion in Scotland quite, quite strongly um, for, I mean, opinions that he's had or that he's, he's expressed in tunnels, shall we say. Um, and that, I mean, I've always been of the opinion that Ollie McBurney should be one of the first names on, on Steve Clark's team sheet uh, because he's clearly a talented striker. You know, you don't get 20 plus goals in, in a mid-table championship side um, and a handful in the Premier League as, as a bit part player if, you, if you're not a, a good footballer. Uh, and given the, the, the dearth of, of, of great Scottish strikers at present, you know, that's, I've always thought that, that Ollie McBurney should really be at the forefront of, of Steve Clark's mind when it comes to selection. Uh, I mean, how, in, in terms of the, the national team, how has Steve Clark used him so far, in your opinion? Well, um, I think regrettably he's used them as a little bit of a target man. So um, it may not have been Steve Clark's intention. Um, so w- one kind of key example is a, a game against Russia um, where we appeared to have a plan initially, um, but um, 
unfortunately, in some ways. We went ahead after just 10 minutes um, in the match with a goal from John McGinn. And as a result of that, we seemed to kind of abandon our plan um, and we started sitting really deep and just lumping the ball forward with high balls um, up to McBurney. And I think that really doesn't suit him at all. Um, I think that there's um, some false expectations or, or some unfair opinions about McBurney. You, you pointed to the the kind of tunnel chat and, and how that might have caused people to have um, you know negative opinion about him. I think even before that, um, maybe through partly the misuse of him as a player, so not just by Steve Clark, but um, under uh, McLeish prior to him uh, and the kind of way that he's been maybe used at times as a sort of target man. Also just the maybe the, the kind of view of the price tag that he's you know had, the, the kind of 20 million price tag and the kind of expectations that people think, well, there's a, a centre forward um, with a 20 million pound price tag. He should be banging in um, all sorts of goals. But I'm not necessarily sure um, that that's really the kind of key attributes for him. Um, from my, my kind of understanding from watching him and stuff, uh, I mean, even you know when he was um playing in the championships at times um he, he wasn't necessarily operating as a center forward you know he's somebody that maybe likes to drift out on, onto the kind of left hand side um mm-hmm. drops deep into spaces combines create spaces for others um so i think that if we're going to use him we need to use him in a way that works for him um and and that's that's the problem um that so far we've maybe thought that um one, he should be scoring loads of goals, which maybe is just not a thing we can expect from him. And two, we've been treating him as some sort of um, target man. And just because he's, you know, a lanky, uh, tall guy whose height is even more accentuated with his kind of loose, uh, lowly rolled socks, it, it's not really his role. He's, he's not really a target man, in my view. So that, that's a bit of a regret. I, I agree with you that he should be somebody that's involved, um, particularly given our lack of other options up front. But we haven't been using him right um, at this point in time. I suppose it does come down to the the best utilization of the assets that you have to you because you know obviously you know national team management is completely different to club management you can't go out and buy a better striker mm. and and stick him up front for Scotland because you're going to have to produce them instead and of course McBurney hasn't had that 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 upbringing in in a, in a Scottish football academy he's perhaps been outside of that and maybe not understood you know what sort of the the microcosm of scottish football within the fan base and within the within the media in scotland and perhaps that's why he's he's not as engaged with with wanting to to be sort of scotland's star man as as, as he possibly could be um, mm. but i think all those things all that bluster has to be put to one side when you have to consider the the best thing that that has to happen for the scottish national team and if he's going to be a game changer uh, when utilized correctly then he has to be someone that's going to be used with players specifically in place to play well around him because that will in turn as you say get the best out of him as well you know you mentioned his time at swansea and yeah, he he wasn't he was wasn't a target man there. You know, he liked to drift off into the left, then run from deep and link up with players who drop into the centre in in sort of the false nine position, and then pop up in, in the box. And yes, he's lanky, uh, accentuated by that low low sock aesthetic, but he he does score all types of goals, and and that's why at the beginning of this chat when um, we. I alluded to that he was perhaps a mobile target man without the the, the target man tag. Um, mm. That he, he should definitely be a player who's who's involved over the next decade or so. Um, and I mean, in, in terms of speaking about players who should be involved in the national team over the next decade or so, uh, looking into the under twenty ones, Billy Gilmore, who's still only eighteen years old, uh, made his Chelsea debut this season, is clearly very highly rated and, and obviously very talented. 
Um, but how long would you say it would be before he's kind of pushing for a place in, in that senior Scotland squad? I don't think it should be too long at all. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Billy Gilmore. Um, I think that um, it may be an issue for him partly is that you know, you pointed to the fact that there's a, a dearth of centre forwards for Scotland. Um, midfield, central midfield is maybe an area that relatively were reasonably well stocked. Um, some injuries may be catching up with us in that area with, you know, John McGinn being out and so on. So that that's maybe the issue for, for Gilmore, um, partly that, um, you know, he, I think he deserves to be in the conversation. Um, but at the moment, there, there might just be a, a few people that are slightly ahead of him. Um, I think for me as well, um, I would really like to see him get a bit more senior football soon. So, you know, he, he plays at the moment generally in, you know, PL2 for, for Chelsea. Um, I think the most recent game there was on the 11th of January um, when he was up against Man City, who coincidentally had another um, young Scottish midfield talent, Lewis Fiorini, playing for them. And I think Gilmore has about 800 minutes this season at PL2 level. Um, he's obviously made a couple of Premier League appearances, but those are as a sub, and then he's been in the Champions League on the bench. Uh, I'm not too sure how you know beneficial those moments are for real development. So I, I would quite like to see him get some more senior minutes. Um, and then I think he can really be pushing for a spot. For me, in terms of when that should happen, I think so much depends on what happens with the March playoffs um, to to see if we qualify for the Euros or not. I think that if you know that's a loss and therefore we don't qualify for the Euros, um, I'd be. I mean, generally, I'd be quite happy to see a lot more younger players in the Scotland senior team. But I think that that could be a, a point at which there would be maybe an appetite for that kind of change to happen. And then certainly he could, you know, as long as he's getting some minutes, senior level could make his his way up there. Yeah, the the the, the qualifiers, uh, sorry, the playoffs in uh, in March could act as a sliding doors moment, really. Absolutely. Yep. In that, in that, you know, it could act as a clean slate to to completely clear out the old guard, you know, the the Charlie Mulgrews of the world, and and really bed in the these new young players that that you know, and the ones that you just mentioned there, of course, Billy Gilmore and, and Louis Fiorini. Um, another one that you alluded to earlier in the pod uh, was Mikey Johnston, who is mm-hmm. a Celtic, um, and he's having he's having a relatively good season, you know, being mm-hmm. drip fed games, um, scored in a number of different competitions, uh, and sort of seems to adapt well to being thrown into into the mixer from the bench or or in games, you know, where he's had a, a few matches on the sidelines, which I suppose is encouraging for in terms of his mentality. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. That that's, um shows good mentality. I think it's also just um, one of the things that maybe his skill set um, helps with. So he's a, a pretty dynamic player. Um, I think his kind of key attribute is that kind of aggressive burst of pace. Um, so if he's coming off the bench, um, maybe in a you know a Scottish Premiership game where the opposition have already been pretty tired out by the other Celtic players. That, that helps him. Um, I really like Johnston. Um, I think beyond that kind of dynamic burst of pace, he has shown some other really good um, flashes of his talent. Um, there was a goal that he scored against Wren in the Europa League um, where he came inside from the left wing and had some really nice interplay with Oliver and the Cham um, where, you know, kind of one-two on the edge of the box and then an incredibly calm, um, assured, kind of slotted finish into the far corner. Um, so I, I think he's a real talent. I'm, I'm really kind of encouraged by him. Um, I think that he um, 
he just really needs to make a go of it now in terms of minutes at Celtic. There was a lot of hype around him um, after the Toulon tournament um, in 2018 when, when Scotland did reasonably well and Mikey Johnston and Oliver Burke were the kind of uh, wingers going beyond Fraser Hornby um, for our team in that. So he, he got a lot of kind of praise and, and looks after that. I think, you know, you, you kind of mentioned that he's kind of been drip-fed in, into the team at the moment. He's had some kind of niggling injury problems, which have maybe meant that he's not been able to have a consistent run. Um, but with Scott Sinclair now having been sold and Mohamed El Yunusi also having some uh, injury problems, that, that left wing is there for Celtic, for the player that wants to make it theirs. Um, and I think that, you know, this kind of uh, last six months or so of the season, this is the opportunity for Mikey Johnson both to, to claim that position, but also to develop as a footballer. Um, I think as much as he's got that dynamism, he's got that burst of pace, what I spoke about earlier, with the link-up play with Odson Edward, that's the kind of thing that he maybe needs to improve upon, those, those short passing moments, um, the kind of smarter decisions. And I know it's a bit of a cliche maybe to criticise a, a young winger for decisions and so on. And, and I think in a team like Celtic, he can be encouraged to take lots of risks and have things go and, you know, potentially wrong, but just the execution of passes and, and the appreciation of space and stuff like that, that that's the thing that I'd want to see from him um, for the remainder of the season for Celtic and indeed Scotland. Um, I think that he has the opportunity as well to, similarly with Gilmore, um, be one of those people that is in the conversation to be in the squad for March, but certainly if we don't get through the playoffs in March, be one of the people that steps through and, and is a, a senior starter moving forward. Yeah, those the June internationals that'll that'll come if if Scotland don't qualify for, for the Euros, uh, they could definitely be be the games for for those clean Absolutely. slate players per se to come through. I mean, speaking of of Gilmore and Mikey Johnston, both still teenagers. I can't remember the last time that, the, apart from perhaps Ollie Burke, although he might have been twenty, I can't mm. remember the last time that there was a, a teenager playing regular games for Scotland. I mean, has, is there an aversion to it, or is there sort of a scepticism that you know are these boys going to be good enough? Uh, I think you're, you're absolutely right, Joe. Um, I mean, Ollie Burke and Kieran Tierney made their debuts um, as eighteen-year-olds. Um, back in March of 2016, um, of currently active Scotland players with 25 caps or more, the youngest is Andy Robertson at the age of 25. Um, there's um, only been in the decade 2010 to now, only six teenagers played for Scotland. Uh, Danny Wilson, Grant Hanley, James Forrest, Andy Robertson and, and the aforementioned Tierney and Ollie Burke. And that's really concerning for me. Um, I, I find that quite depressing um, in terms of how that's happened. Um, in, in terms of there being a, an aversion to it, I, I, I think you're probably right. Um, I think that maybe the aversion is driven by the weight that is resting on the nation and specifically the manager's shoulders about the failure to qualify for tournaments. Um, I think given how long it's been uh, since Scotland qualified for a major international tournament, there's so much focus on that. And I think there's a, a, a feeling um, from those people perhaps to play it somewhat safe in their attempt to qualify and to go with experience and so on. Now, for me personally, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that people having experience of having failed is necessarily good experience that I would want. Um, but, you know, I understand that, you know, it's difficult for managers. They need to make these kind of decisions. And, and obviously you want to have a group that, you know, you can work with. And, and that might mean having some older, more experienced players. 
but I think ideally, um, you know, obviously I want to qualify for the tournament, particularly given the Euros are partially happening in Glasgow. It would be great. Um, but if Scotland don't, uh, as we kind of touched on that March playoff, if that can be a kind of sliding doors moment, I think this might be an opportunity for us to maybe say, you know, as a nation, look, you know, expectations have changed in international football. We don't have a, a kind of preordained right to qualify for these tournaments. What if we have a, a slightly different tack here? and try and you know look at developing younger players getting them into the team earlier um it's resulting in us having a, a huge pool of selected players overall but with really low caps um for them there are so few players that we have that have kind of come through together and that have gained caps consistently and, and have that kind of uh, young experience so it, it's a real problem for me i would love it if we had more younger players coming into the squad a lot earlier yeah, experience has always been sort of a byword for quality, but or it's been accepted as that's the case. But I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. That I'm not sure that players with experience of having failed at multiple junctures in the past ten, fifteen, or you know, twenty-two years, or how, however long it's been, I'm not sure that's probably the best approach. Um, you, you touched on just earlier uh, the young player at Manchester City, uh, Luis Fiorini, who uh, I, I'll admit I haven't seen very much of at all. But what is he like as a player? I mean, you know, if he's at Manchester City, there's obviously clearly something that that they saw in in him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he seems like a good talent. Um, he's very young, uh, attacking midfielder, kind of um, not not like a kind of I don't know dynamic kind of box to box type attacking player. Um, I think the thing that I'd say about him is he, he he had a relatively lengthy injury recently, so I've not been able to see a great deal as his football but he's back playing now which is really encouraging it's always good to see somebody come off a you know a, a relatively bad injury at a young age uh, and seem to be okay and the very fact you know as you touched on that he's at Manchester City is encouraging there, there's quite a lot of young Scottish players who are maybe you know a level or two down you know the kind of under 19 the under 17 level who are either at um, pretty elite academies in, in England or maybe playing a, uh, for Rangers and Celtic. And, and I think that group is um, the kind of really encouraging for me. Um, the ones even younger than Billy Gilmore. Um, that, that, that's maybe the clutch of players that I'm, I'm most excited about. Excellent. That is all we have uh, time for in this week's episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, thank you to Owen for, for being my partner in crime, uh, taking me through uh, the annals of Scottish football expertise and, and for providing a great deal of insight today. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to what you've, what you've had to say. Do keep an eye on our timeline for more updates and more episodes uh, concerning under-23 football. Uh, the, the first volume of the Scouted Football Handbook 2020 is currently in the works and uh, having seen a list of who's included, it's looking like a cracker. Uh, please do give Owen a follow on Twitter too if you've enjoyed this episode and, and certainly if you'd like to learn more about Scottish football. There, there are a few accounts who are better placed to, to inform you on, on that. Um, his app is at Owen James Brown. Um, also, definitely check out the Pure Football podcast too. Uh, we've got some great stuff on there, uh, the latest of which uh, is an insight into the relationship between recruitment and analysis with Ram Srinivas of Market Insights, uh, which is a great listen. Thank you so much for having me on, Joe. That was a, a real pleasure. Um, and yeah, just to kind of echo what Joe said, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, that's the place to find me. And please do listen in to um, the Pure Football podcast. Um, and, and yeah, just to reiterate, thank you very much for having me on. It was my pleasure. Excellent. Well, that's all from us. Thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast. See you soon.